It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. The minute I interviewed Thomas Sowell, Allison's great booking, and uh, Pete executed, I said, when we do this, this would be great for a special. And sure enough, we ended up doing it at a time in which we can record more than just our typical segments. And this is what it's for. It's a special uh, right now just on Thomas Sowell. He's got a brand new book out called Social Justice Fallacies. Why? Well, as an African-American, he grew up not really in a traditional family. He overcame a lot. He changed political philosophies uh, on the fly through life experience. And he was able to constantly observe and make opinions. And his columns are simply must read. I mean, he grew up. There's Chicago, a uh, school of uh, black, you know, mostly a black school. He spent a significant amount of time in Harlem and now spends a significant amount of time on the West Coast. And now he has definite opinions about where we are in race. So I'm going to break up this entire hour with different sections, his portions of his life and his beliefs. Right now, what is this book about? Why is this the right time to put it forward? What is the message we should be taking from it? Here's a little of my conversation, just the beginning of my conversation with author Thomas Sowell. Professor, welcome back. Um, good being back. Uh, first off, tell me about what do you mean by social justice fallacies? There's some truths that aren't truths, I, I guess. Well, uh, I think I would say most of the truths uh, in that, in that uh, vision uh, are, not, are not true. Uh, one of them is, for example, that there's something very strange about uh, different groups whether by race, sex, or whatever, uh, have have very different representation in different kinds of uh, institutions and activities, and that therefore something sinister must be going on. Uh, in point of fact, disparities are just virtually universal. As I mentioned in the, in the book itself, uh, you can read reams of social justice literature and not encounter a single example of a country where uh, people from different groups are equally represented in different occupations or, or activities. And, and, and that's true if you go back, to, whether you're looking at, at countries around the world today, or you're looking back through history, you know, for, for over a thousand years. So what people want to do is say, oh, the, the reason why Hispanics aren't big here and, or blacks aren't big here or uh, people in the, uh, you know, in the Midwest aren't doing what here is discrimination. They want to say it's racism. When you say there's a logic behind almost all of it and that we can't script outcomes, we can only script opportunities. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's right. Uh, because, because the outcomes, among other things, depend upon what the individuals themselves want to do. Uh, one of the examples I've often used is uh, imagine if some uh, a, a, a black baby is born in the, in the middle of the ghetto uh, with uh, muscles identical to those of Rudolph Nureyev, the great uh, ballet dancer. The chance of that kid becoming another Rudolph Nureyev must be one in a thousand, if, if that high. Because the whole, he's not going to grow up oriented towards that kind of thing. And, and one of the things that bothers me back when, they, when people talk about the days when they had ability grouping in the schools, and it wasn't really ability grouping, it was outcome grouping. Because when you have some students who really don't care about school one way or the other, I don't know how you know what his ability is. 
Exactly. Uh, how they apply themselves. But yet they, they look at raw test scores and they judge what kind of teacher you are, what kind of school system you're in. You also say there's just certain things that are universal and it has to do with the environment. It doesn't mean that society's uh, unequal or people are trying to hold you down. So, for example, you bring up, you know, why aren't more Hispanics uh, in the tech industry? There must be a bias. There must be a reason. There is a reason, but it's not bias, right? There are more Asians in that area because there's a higher number of de- uh, de- uh, Asians with degrees in engineering. That's not that's not an unfair advantage. That's just a fact. And that, yes, and the other thing, too, is that the idea that we should resent people who have uh, – uh, who are doing better than we are? I mean, one one of my favorite examples personally is uh, is basketball. Now, when I, when I uh, tried to play basketball as a teenager, I was really awful. I mean, I, I I was lucky to hit the backboard, you know. Not never mind the basket. Now, but I, if I were into social justice, I would then hate Michael Jordan because he's such a great basketball player. Actually, I was a big Michael Jordan fan because I realized that he, he really introduced some stuff. Uh, but but there's an idea that uh, when someone like say, say Bill Gates comes along and becomes a multimillionaire, that he's somehow subtracting from the the, the, the uh, wealth of, of the rest of the society. But there's no fixed or pre uh, predestined wealth out there. And he's probably created trillions of dollars of wealth around the world. And that, and if he he becomes a multi-billionaire out of it, so be it. But to all those other people who can do. Uh, any number of things better with a computer than they can without it. All those people benefit uh, uh, financially and otherwise. See, I, I, and we're talking to Thomas Sowell, and that people might be saying, listen, well, that's just conservative thought. That whole, uh, that economic thought is, uh, you know, out of the success, you have other people that work for you. Like I might work for Bill Gates, and then I might become a manager there. I might learn. I might split off and get my own company, hire other people, because I was able to, uh, go be a part of a great organization. And that's the theory. So Bill Gates becomes richer, and I have an opportunity to do the same thing because the Microsoft exists. Oh, oh I, I, absolutely. And, and, and as, as far as conservative thought, uh, I have no, I have no uh, objection to people having whatever kinds of opinions they do have. What, what troubles me a lot is that we have – notions that catch on in some intellectual elites and, this, and these notions are treated uh, as if these were, were demonstrated facts in many cases uh, the, the when you when you look at the data you find that the exact opposite happens compared to what they had promised for example the, the, the sex putting sex education into the school which is not a new thing by the way uh, what was new is the parents found out about it because of COVID had, had led to a lot of homes, homes, uh, schooling. Uh, but sex education came in on a mass scale in the 1960s. And it came in with the promise that it was going to reduce to a teenage, uh, teenage pregnancy and, uh, uh, teenage venereal diseases. Uh, and if you go look at, look at the facts, the fact is the teenage pregnancies and teenage venereal diseases were going down in the 1950s. Uh, and and, and not, as of 1960, the uh, um, infection rate for syphilis was among teenagers, was half of what it had been in 1950. Uh, pregnancy rates were going down. You brought in sex education, all of those things immediately reversed and shot up. 
and we've not and, and and they've not come down since then. Similarly with crime, especially homicide. Hom- homicide rates uh, for black males in the United States uh, went down by 18 percent in the 1940s. Went down by another 22 percent in the 1950s. In the 1960s, the federal courts, the Supreme Court especially, created all sorts of new rights for criminals, changed the whole nature of criminal law. And instantly, the murder rate tripled and doubled, doubled from 1963 to 1973. So you could run through a whole list of things like that where you're supposed to produce a good result from this wonderful new bright idea. And in fact, the fact that the data all show that things got worse. So uh, Thomas Sowell, I know that you tell the story about growing up and that you grew up in Harlem and that you said you never even heard a gunshot in Harlem. But yet we always had the second amendment. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, out here, out here uh, in California, there's a place, uh, East Palo Alto, which uh, some de- a few decades ago had the highest murder rate in in, in the country. Uh, the next next the next the next year the murder rate was way down. And so the question is, did they discover the root causes of crime? You know, uh, did they get rid of all the injustices? No, they put more cops in there, and the homicide rate drops. Uh, and, and a number of places, people people. Uh, pointed out things like this said, oh, it was amazing. As if it's some great coincidence that when you send in a lot of cops, fewer people get killed. Yeah, and that was so weird that you're describing this. I almost think you're talking about today. Uh, we think the problem was there's too many people in jail and that it's not fair to poor people that they can't afford bail. So now we have zero cash bail, and unless you're a violent criminal, you get to stay out of the court. You, you get to stay out and be free until your day in court, and you see the results. And now instead of backing off on this, Illinois just started it. California is reaffirming it. And New York is trying to get out of it. Well, at least in New York, they're, they're, they've looked at the data. But, but, but politics is a strange institution. Uh, politics is an institution where you can, you can end your whole career just by admitting the truth that you, that you made a mistake. And in the economy, for example, you know, when, when uh, Coca-Cola tried to change the flavor and they thought that was a bright idea, uh, when people started rather stopped buying Coca-Cola, suddenly the, the choice between the people who ran the company was, are we going to pretend that, they, that we were right or are we going to stay here and, and go bankrupt? Well, they decided they'd, they'd admit being right and go back to the old cola, old, old cola flavor. All right. Coming up right after the break, high taxes. Having people run for the hills in New York, what it means for high-income earners, and what it means for race in America, we'll discuss it. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Welcome. 
Welcome back to a Brian Kilmeade Show special presentation. Thomas Sowell, Social Justice Fallacies. We're talking to Thomas Sowell here. His book is now out. It's called Social Justice Fallacies. And believe me, these are conversations that people have, and they give their opinion. But what, what, what you have done, uh, uh, Professor Soul, is you looked back at the stats and you look at the results through time in our favor in this country, and hopefully we'll learn from it because you have no agenda. You just want to get to the bottom line and see if we could change education the way people are viewed and stop blaming everything on prejudice, racism, and sexism. And I will, this week I'm reading the paper today, getting ready for this interview, and I see this story. In New York, they're looking to raise taxes on high-income earners. They think they deserve another 5% income uh, 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 tax on what they make, over $250,000, another 7.5% of people who make over $323,000. Now, the result has been what? People who make a lot of money, 26 to 45 especially, are leaving this state of New York because they're being taxed too high. What is wrong with the thought of taxing the rich because other people need more money? Oh, my goodness. You know, one of the most successful uh, attempts to uh, actually one of the most successful programs to get money from high income people was done in the 1920s. Uh, After the Woodrow Wilson administration, uh, the top tax rate was 73 percent. It was pure Republicans. Uh, in the 1920s, and back in those days, Republicans had some kind of principles. Uh, but uh, they came in and they, and they reduced the, t- the, the tax rate, the top tax rate to 25 percent. Great outcry that this is tax cuts for the rich. In point of fact, the federal government collected more revenue at 25 percent than they had ever collected at 73 uh, percent, because at 73 percent, people put their money into tax exempt securities, and it wasn't taxed at all. Uh, and, and so one figure that I remember is uh, at the beginning, people who, who made a, a million dollars a year uh, paid five uh, percent of all the income tax revenue. After they cut the cut the tax rate to twenty five percent, people who were making a uh, uh, million dollars a year paid more than fifteen percent of all the tax rev- revenue. Right. And, then, and for the simple reason that the twenty five percent of something is uh, uh, larger than 73% of nothing. Understood. And, and the other thing that you, you always talk about is people think you're going to just take their money and they're not going to do anything. Like, of course, if you're going to take 75% of my money, I'm going to put it someplace else where you can't get it. I know how hard it took to earn it. And what we always hear from this president in particular is, I'm not for you being well. I'm not, I don't care if you're going to be wealthy. You can do that, but just pay your fair share. That bothers you a lot. What, do you, what is fair share? Well, they will never define it because it has no meaning. It's what it's, it's all. It's, someone once asked Samuel Gopper, the great labor leader, well, what 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 does labor want? He said more, and that's true of politicians. They want more, so they they, they can never tell you what the fair share is or on what basis you would figure it if if, if you could. Quite aside from whether you'll ever collect it. So, uh, Thomas, the other thing you you talk about too is. Civil rights legislation and what it meant. Uh, Was there a need? Absolutely. You know, in 1865, uh, we ended the Civil War. Reconstruction kicks in. We have the Compromise of 1877. We take a huge step backwards with the end of Reconstruction, essentially. uh, Separate but equal. And the Jim Crow laws come into effect. But the one thing that was happening, as evil as it was, the black family was intact. 
And as yes. much as no one will ever make excuses for back of the bus, separate water fountains, no one will ever say that that'll ever be okay. The one thing about the African the black family, can't even say African American, could be Caribbean American, doesn't matter, is that the family was intact. How important was that family unit in retrospect? Oh, it was huge. It was huge. And you can tell that by what happened when, when the family disintegrated. Uh, there's, a, there's a monumental study called The Black Family and Slavery and Freedom by Herbert Gutman. Anyone who wants to get some facts has to think it's from rhetoric, rhetoric should read that. The, there, were, there, were, there were heart-rending stories after, after the end of slavery where many people began looking for their relatives who had been sold somewhere else and uh, being illiterate. Uh, that they would have someone write write letters for them. They would send them to some local church where they thought maybe a, a son, a brother, or a cousin was, and, and these would then be read out to the church. And so the, the, the enormous uh, struggles to, to reconstitute families that had been split by slavery itself going on for decades after the Civil War. And, and today we have places where you know, there are, there are women on, on welfare who've had uh, children by a, a number of men, none of whom take any interest in them, even though the kid is right right down the block. And that is not peculiar to blacks, by the way. The very same pattern exists in uh, in, in England uh, uh, and, and, and to the very same degree. Uh, and, and there, the underclass is predominantly white. So they have no they have no racism to face. They have no legacy of slavery, and they have the exact same phenomenon. You have it in the schools as well as in the families. And so the, the, the seizing upon this historical tragedy to as you, to explain everything leaves out the fact that the black family in 1940, uh, more than four fifths of all black children were raised in two parent families. Before that century was over, it was down. You know. To, uh, to 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 less than less than less than a, less than a third. So this this happened after the welfare state came in. So coming up next, I think you're going to love it. It's our look and our conversation about the 1960s Lawrence Baines Johnson idea of a great society. We're going to equal things out, make it better for all Americans of all races, creeds, and genders. Didn't really work. Why didn't it work? Was the intention pure? Perhaps was the results great? We're still living with the problems. Don't move. Our special conversation, Thanksgiving special conversation with Thomas Sowell, right after this. Listening to a Brian Kilmeade Show special presentation. Thomas Sowell, Social Justice Fallacies. Welcome back, everybody. So think about the 1960s. We're talking about the Vietnam War. And as it begins to go south and more and more troops are exposed there, LBJ pivoted, pivoted to the great society. And that's what he really wanted to talk about, how to make things great in America for all races. A hundred years after slavery, the problems with the reset in the 1877 and the compromise that didn't work coming out of segregation. How do we make it better for African-Americans in America? Well, with his plan, the great society plan, what went wrong? Here's what Thomas Sowell says. And man, what he says works. 
Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided to put money, where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail. And you can now measure that in unemployment, in crime, in devastation. So people, Democrats got offended that he took on the Great Society. Where do you stand, Thomas Sowell? Every word he said was absolutely correct. Uh, The Democrats should should stop being offended and start start facing facts. On the other hand, the Republicans are not always facing facts either. So in the Great Society might have been well-intended, but the result was the essential incentivization of... of, uh, of getting welfare checks, and if you have, at one point, uh, a single-parent family, you'd get more money. Oh, absolutely. And, and, the, and the data in, in my book shows that, you know, uh, uh, black married couple families uh, have had poverty rates under 10% for more than a quarter of us every year, for more than a quarter of a century, starting in 1994. And so... Uh, the, Differences between races are not necessarily racial differences, either in the sense of genetics or in the sense of uh, discrimination, that where there are behavioral differences from different cultures, which there always are, uh, those who have a certain behavior pattern uh, do not do not have the same consequences. By contrast, uh, white female headed families uh, have had uh, much higher poverty rates than black married couple families. It's, it's not it's not the race as such. It's the it's the behavior patterns. And you think one of the great things that happened to you is you did have a two parent family. You had you had you were adopted. Uh, you were living yes. in New York City, and and you asked you asked uh, uh, your family, you know, when did I start walking? He goes, we don't know because your feet never hit the floor. You were being held so much, and that that yeah, really was- laid the foundation to be this great person you ended up becoming. Well, well I, I, I know that it was, it was really more like a four-parent family in the sense that, that I was the only uh, uh, child in a family of four adults. And so, so I, had, I had a lot of people there to, to, to uh, and in, the, in the early years especially, when so every, everything is so crucial. And uh, Thomas, also, you bring up the fact that, you know, there's, there's reasons why certain people are successful. For example, the oldest child in a family— it tends to be more successful because at, at a time they were the only child. And you said there's no coincidence. It's not a coincidence that most astronauts were, were the oldest in their family. How does that figure well, into what you become? Oh, 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 well, there's no question about it because they, they saw things, even though they had little, little education, they were thinking ahead about my future. And, of course, when I was a kid, I wasn't thinking about the future. To me, the future was two weeks from now. Uh, but and they, they met some kid who was uh, very bright and uh, very intellectually oriented. Uh, and they immediately, the, the light bulb went on that, 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 that he should uh, sort of take me in, in, in hand. He's a year older than me. And, and it was through him that I went, went into a, a public library for the first time, having no idea what a public library was. <laughs> Little things can change lives. As you, look at, as you look at your life now and look at what we've experienced as a country, uh, you remember the segregated South. That's not stranger to you. You don't have to read that in the book. You lived it. But as we look now, we seem to be more racially aware now than ever before. But in, in essence, is America more equal than it ever was? 
Oh, no, I know. Uh, the, the, the painful irony is that as the as rates of intermarriage uh, have risen to levels far beyond what they were in the past, everybody is now more uh, intensely into uh, a racial identity. And that's not peculiar to the United States. The same thing you see it in, in uh, New Zealand, where the Maoris are constantly talking talk about their identity. I don't know if, if there are any, uh, how many pure-blooded Maoris there are in New Zealand as compared to those who are Maori and white. And, 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 and what are you, you going to do if you're going to have reparations, for example? How are you going to unscramble all these people when an absolute majority of black Americans have Caucasian genes? So do you look at America I mean, if would you see progress in, in race relations today? I see progress where people have been left alone to work things out uh, themselves. I see a lot of retrogression where there are pre- presumptuous people among intellectuals and among uh, opportunistic politicians who, have, who are playing up uh, ra- racial differences in order to win votes. And today, when you saw the George Floyd riots and the rise of uh, Black Lives Matter, and then you mentioned reparations, especially in the West Coast, the brainchild of your genius governor, uh, are those things, do you think, prog- show progress? Are they disturbing to you? No. No, no, my gosh. It, it makes me wonder if we're not buying problems much bigger than any human being can solve. Uh, the, the George Floyd riots were especially painful to me uh, because— when you think about it, what, what, were the, what, what, what were the people protesting? They say, well, they protested what the, what the policeman did. It was an evil thing that the policeman did. Everybody I know, one of the, one of the most conservative uh, uh, radio uh, broadcasters uh, uh, went ballistic denouncing the policeman. I can't think of any incident in, uh, in American history where there was more, more uh, at the very least, 99% agreement. The cops shouldn't have done it. He should be fired. He should be indicted. He should be tried, convicted, uh, and sentenced. All of that happened. So what was the, you know, if, if you're going to riot when there's unanimity, good heaven, what are you going to do when there are differences of opinion? So that was uh, Thomas Sowell speaking out about things that he's been researching his entire life. Name of the book, Social Justice Fallacies. And if you want to arm yourself uh, with the next uh, great statement on your, whether it's your bar pro, uh, backyard barbecue or a tailgate uh, with facts about America, do that. When we come back, Booker T. Washington his message in the early 20th century and how some are running from it today and they shouldn't. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to a Brian Kilmeade Show special presentation. Thomas Sowell, Social Justice Fallacies. Welcome back. Education in America. It really resonates with me because I spent the last two, three years looking at Booker T. Washington, his thirst for an education, how he got his education, and then how he tried to educate the masses and was successful with the Rosenwald School, of course, combining with Julius Rosenwald, but most importantly, Tuskegee University, Tuskegee College, normal college back then. Education in America today. What did Booker T. think? What does Thomas Sowell think about the impact of Booker T. And why is he not embraced as somebody who's pulling you up from the bootstraps, take responsibility for your life, be a self-made person? Why is that not resonating with black America today in some sectors? We discuss it with Thomas Sowell right here, right now. 
Just looking back at race relations, uh, I wrote The President and Freedom Fighter. You studied Frederick Douglass and where he came from slavery, how he, how the meager means in which Abraham Lincoln came back from, and then picking up yeah. where he left off, Booker T. Washington, who overlapped with Frederick Douglass, was able to put together educational institutions in the segregated South. Yet today, Booker T. Washington is not necessarily embraced by the black community. Do you understand why? Oh, he, 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 his, pro, his program was different from theirs. That he, he was trying to make sure that the blacks acquired skills at Tuskegee Institute, which, which he founded. And, he, and, and one of the skills they uh, taught was building skills. And so many of those uh, buildings were built by the students themselves on the basis of what they, were, what, what they had been taught. And, and they were making their own bricks. And, there, and even in the, in, the, in, the, in the segregated South, whites would come over to Tuskegee Institute to buy, to buy bricks because they could get a better deal there. And then in the end, it was all about getting at, getting your, uh, you know, raising intellects and academics, but also learning a trade. Because at that time, the white community wasn't looking necessarily to hire blacks. So make yourself invaluable for yourself, for others, start your own business. Yes, there was segregated South and there was racism. Overcome it was his attitude. Does Thomas Sowell have that same attitude? Yes, I think I, I think that we give so much uh, attention to racists. Uh, when I look at groups around the world, and I spent a lot of time studying that over the years, uh, the groups that rise from poverty to prosperity almost never have any charismatic leaders who lead them protesting to other against other groups, no matter how how justified the protesting would be. They put their they invest their time and energies uh, into acquiring skills that have value in the marketplace, and that's how they arose. In the United States, for example, there was a time of more hundred years or so ago when the people of Japanese and Chinese immigrants were, could not legally uh, own property in California. Uh, they didn't spend their time worrying about that. They, they, they got built up their, their own uh, skills and, and went on. Uh, but, but now the, 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 I don't believe racists today can do half as much damage to, to, to the younger generation of blacks uh, as the teachers unions are doing every day. <laughs> and because the way they, the low expectations, the lack of quality care, it's not a lack of money, lack of funding. You see this staggering uh, results on academic standards when it comes to the cities. Most of them run by uh, African-American mayors, uh, run by school, to, you know, most of them are filled with minority students. But it's not because minorities aren't capable of everything uh, others are capable of. It's all about the the situation which they're born into and the classroom as well as the curriculum. Yeah, well, I, I did a book on, on charter schools a few years ago in which I compared schools in New York City where the black and Hispanic kids uh, were, were in, 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 in charter schools were located in the very same building with uh, black and Hispanic kids uh, from traditional public schools. In fact, I, I myself went to one of those schools when I was a teenager. Uh, and in those schools, the ones, the black and Hispanic kids who are in the traditional public schools uh, reached, reached the required level of math uh, 7% of the time. In the uh, 
charter school in the very same building, serving the very same community, 100% of the students met the, met the standards. Now, <laughs> you know, you can't explain that by race. You can't explain <laughs> it by race. And you can't explain it by, by test by, by bias. So, and the thing is, uh, uh, Dr. Soul, for the most part, teachers in the public school are even getting paid more. And their, and their days are shorter. So you can't say, well, you, you get what you pay for. Not really. If you look at what, these, what they're producing in these charter schools, you're getting a longer day, more demands, usually a uniform, and you seem to, and the demands result in better results. Worse than that, people don't understand that charter schools were set up with the idea that you would have an experimental kind of school, and if some things work there, you could transfer that to the, reg- the reg- larger regular public school. Fine. What happened is that the charter schools have so outperformed the uh, traditional public schools that the traditional public schools know they're never going to be able to do what the charter schools are doing. And so there are laws, including in California, that are forcing the, char- the charter schools to do the counterproductive things that the public schools are doing in order to save the, the uh, jobs of the u- unionized teachers and in order to continue for the union, unions uh, to take in billions of dollars in union dues every, day, every year. And you would think, that, okay, well, I love what that charter school is doing. Let's learn from that. Instead, they look at him as the enemy. And I don't know if you're involved, but I watch what's happening on in New York all the time. And they're trying to keep down the charter schools. There was supposed to be uh, dozens more, but they're just leaving them empty. And they're not, uh, they're not staffing them up and, and putting kids in there because it would hurt the amount of people in the public schools. But if you really cared about minorities like you claim to, you'd want to fill up those charter schools because you want the results. Better educated, highly motivated students. Yeah, the the, the last time I checked, there were fifty thousand students in New York City on uh, uh, trying to get into charter schools and not able to do so. In California, it's even worse. In 2019, a law was passed saying that disruptive students cannot be expelled from from charter schools. Now, if you know, in other words, the charter schools had had, had behavioral standards, uh, and so instead of uh, raising the behavioral standards in the public schools, uh, they they would rather deliberately handicap the charter school. It is quite cynical. I just like to go back in history. By the way, we're talking to Thomas Sowell's new book that you need to read is "Social Justice Fallacies." He goes out and gets the facts about institutions and the families, um, and um, uh, and races. And let's everybody know that we aren't necessarily in a, we're not in a um, uh, a racist society. There are societal reasons why certain things happen, and one of the things we could all do is you could, if you want to raise somebody, you raise them in a stable family. That's probably the best thing you could do if you want your kid to be successful. But just looking back in history, it's just amazing how the smartest people, if you look back in time, had opinions because that's how they were brought up. I know Benjamin Franklin was uh, brought up, and he was a guy who had slaves, and he just thought, well, whites are smarter than blacks, and that's just the way it is. And then later on, he would find out and see uh, black kids in school and see the results and start noticing there is no difference. He became the, uh, the ultimate abolitionist in his lifetime. And then other people, like Booker T. Washington, would notice that people were brought up in environments where they were always told from the time they were kids that uh, whites were, were smarter than blacks or blacks weren't smart, 
And that would gradually change with time. And then you see people like Andrew Carnegie and the rich and famous who stand up and, and speak out and support people like Booker T. Washington and, and do the best they can white, to, to help the African-American cause because things change. People are born with perceptions, and they're wrong. But it doesn't mean they're necessarily evil. It means they need to be better educated and exposed to the realities, which your book does with the fall- uh, exposing the fallacies. But if you look back in time— and you say, well, Benjamin Franklin had slaves, we got to hate him. Or George Washington had slaves, we got to hate him. I think that's a very dangerous thing to do, don't you? Yes. What our, what our schools are doing is teaching kids to hate strangers who have done nothing to them. Now, that is not, not, not a, that's not a good future either for that kid, those kids or for this whole society. Because once, once you start tolerating that from one side— You'll, you'll start seeing the same thing happening on the other side. And, and at that point, there'll be such outrage that the actual substantive issues won't matter anymore. There'll, there'll be people out for revenge and counter-revenge, on and on. So that's a special look at Thomas Sowell. We had a chance to talk to him for quite a long time, and it still wasn't long enough. Uh, he's in his 90s now, and he acts like maybe in his 60s. Social justice fallacies. Arm yourself with doctrines like these. So when people start talking about how America is endemically racist, let him talk about personal responsibility and uh, inequality in America and the danger of equity in America. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.